Last week, we spoke with Natalie Porter and talked about all things basketball. But sport comes in many different forms, so we are thrilled today to have Bianca Chatfield in the hot seat to talk about all things netball, but also media, leadership, and entrepreneurship. Welcome to this edition of Turak Chat. I am Christy Kendall, Principal at Turak College. And I'm Alexa Rosakis, and today we're here with Bianca Chatfield. Bianca, welcome. Thanks for having me. We are very excited to have you on board today. I love a good podcast. So for me, I was excited to hear that you're doing it as a school. Um, I think we can all learn so much from podcasts these days. I've always got it going in my car, no matter if it's just listening to other people being interviewed or, you know, listening to something about someone discuss the the latest news. I think it's a really good way for us all to learn. Uh, I could not agree more with you. And in fact, how how you came to start in my household Mm -hmm. was my husband actually actually heard you on Willosophy and he said you've got to get her in her messages will be amazing for your girls so we're so thrilled to have you here Bianca why don't you tell us a little bit about your interesting journey and especially kind of I guess what you're doing now okay yeah so I grew up on the Mornington Peninsula I grew up in Somerville and uh, as much as you know I loved I, I just love sport. That was always somewhere I found myself enjoying myself, was whether it was on the basketball court or doing gymnastics. Or, it was all these random things. And down the peninsula, you just do that. And I am very tall. So I my both my parents are tall and I had no choice really in the matter. And um, <laughs> there was something about when I was at school, I was always a bit funny about my height. So I would always want to just be like everybody else. And I didn't understand at that stage that how important it is that we all embrace our own uniqueness and so the only time I felt confident about being tall was when I was on the netball court and it was kind of funny how I never had aspirations to play for Australia I never thought about it as a kid but I think it was about 10 years old when I started playing for Somerville and um, the more I started playing the more I loved it and the more I felt like that's where I belonged and so that's how sport became a big part of my life and my parents were always encouraging us to just be active just be outside don't be in front of the tv yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that before <laughs> um and so then that's where that all started for me my netball career and my older sister played as well so I would just watch her and follow her and compete with her and I'd learn a lot from watching her play uh, and her being two years older than me was kind of a bit of a helpful tool as well that I could see not necessarily the mistakes she made but I could see the the issues that she would have along the way and see how she'd problem solve them so by the time I got to that I'd already seen how she'd navigated her way through so I was kind of subconsciously taking that all in without realizing it Um, and then so I went through school down here and then went to um, uni and actually started studying teaching so I did a human movement secondary teaching degree and then my elite career kind of took off and I was Lucky enough, although I worked hard, but, you know, I made the Australian team as an 18-year-old, which was so young in hindsight Mm. and something that I don't even really know how it all happened. But as you find out, opportunities come when you don't necessarily expect them and it's just about saying yes and having a go. And so I got into the team obviously said yes to that opportunity and um, then it kind of was a bit of a roller coaster ride for me. I had lots of ups in my career. I had lots of downs. Um, But I think it certainly taught me how to be resilient and also, again, embrace that uniqueness that we all have. And so, yes, my height was one. Um, I also realized as I navigated my way through my netball career is that 
I physically always had to train really hard. So I was never just naturally gifted. You know how we all know those people that are like naturally good runners <laughs> yes, or jump really high. Whereas yes. I always had to train myself to do that. Uh, but mentally, I was always quite resilient. Um, and so that was just one of my strengths that I started to see that not everybody has. Just my ability to be able to uh, take the emotion out of a situation and try and find the calm place to figure out what, how you go forward. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because once I retired from sport um, and being an elite netballer, you know, I did a reality TV show called The Book. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a small show. It's a small a show. show. Yes, and yeah. Believe it or not, I've had aspirations to do that show for a long time. I'd sit there, I'd watch it, I'd wonder how do I get myself on it? And, you know, if everyone else can do it, surely I can do mm -hmm. it. But what I'd learned from being an athlete and my ability to find the calmness amongst the chaos pretty much helped me out on that show in that it's meant to be chaotic. They want it to be chaotic, but my brain was so attuned to find the positive and the easy way forward without getting caught up in the drama, um, which is not ideal for producers of a TV show because they want the drama. Yes, I would You would be like their worst nightmare to yeah. be actually calm and logical. That's right. And they were, they were always, well, I thought they were always thinking we've got a team of all girls you know, my, I did it with a friend of mine. Of course they're going to cry. And I was like, no, we're not. That's <laughs> not us. It's not how we're made. And, you know, we've been through tougher stuff. And so then obviously the reality TV show came about. But I think if I take it back a step to when I did my teaching degree away from the netball court, we've always had to, as female athletes, have something outside of playing sports. Mm. So you know, I had to go to uni. I didn't have a choice. It wasn't like we were going to get paid millions of dollars to play for Australia. You had to do something else. And so I've always uh, had something else to do other than train. And sometimes that would frustrate you and it would make you angry because you'd always compare yourself to the boys playing AFL and how much money they got. And But now I reflect on it like being the, one of the best things to have gone through because I had all these other things to focus on. So when I got dropped from the Australian team, I, you know, that was a disappointing time in my netball career. And one where, you, you know, you were emotionally flat and it's hard to get yourself back up and motivated again. But then it gave me time to spend time in, you know, the workforce and, and actually go and do something totally different. And it kind of helped that love of my sport come back to me because I had something else to do um, and put my energy into. So I realized I taught for a couple of years and while I was teaching, I was also playing for Australia. So I'd be like, sorry, staff, I've got to go away for three weeks to Jamaica. Is that okay? And, <laughs> and I, it just, I felt like I was always letting the students down because I was never there at the right time for them. And of course we didn't tour in school holidays. So, so annoying. As a principal, you would have been like, oh yeah. no, Bianca, how am I going to do this? I, I just read your email. Can I have five minutes? Yes. No, <laughs> no. So that was a bit of a juggling act for me for about three three years and I only ever taught part-time and and then I just found my entrepreneurial spirit in a way that I loved having a flexible schedule and I love being able to just do all these things and worked at Essendon Footy Club for a couple of years and so my job there was to try and help the footballers do something outside of playing too because as netballs we did that already uh, and that was using your education degree as well um, and then again it became about okay, I, I love being in schools. I love, you know, talking about what I've learned from sport. And so then I've kind of put that all in and now I do a lot of leadership workshops and run my own business in that aspect and then also work in the media doing a whole range of things. Um, 
But I love the adrenaline rush of working in the media and live TV. It's similar to playing sport. And then on the flip side, the leadership part of my life I love because it's so meaningful and you always feel like you're giving back and helping other people kind of navigate their journey. So, I mean, that's me in a nutshell, really. (laughs) I've got lots of things going on, but... I feel like I finally got to the stage where I say yes to the stuff that makes me feel good. Like, you know, exactly the same philosophy as when I was a kid and netball made me feel good. Um, and I say no to the stuff I don't want to do. And I think it's nice and I feel very lucky that I'm in that position. That's great. You talked about luck earlier as well and, and, and not crediting your success to luck but to hard work. And it's something I say, I do a bit of coaching myself and I always say, you don't need luck when you've got talent, yes. girls. You know, we, the luck's <laughs> nice to have but it's actually the hard work that led us here. That work ethic in your life is so obvious through every stage of your journey. Yeah. Um, how do you inspire others who maybe don't have the same natural drive to capitalise on it? Well, I think it is about finding your passion and not necessarily your passion forever, but whatever you're passionate at the time, because if you're actually doing something that you are loving, then you'll put more into it anyway, naturally. I think we all find that we'll do things at different times where it's such a burden on you and you just give it the little bit that you have to, and then you don't put everything into it. So I think it's about finding that thing that you're passionate about and then whatever your strengths are, like keep pushing those strengths. We tend to think about our weaknesses and try and fix them all the time. But we all have strength in certain areas. And what makes us work hard is when we know we're good and capable at something. So I think it's finding your strengths first and and owning those. And then when you do have a little bit of energy or time, have a look at your weaknesses and where you can kind of improve. But yeah, our strengths are our strengths for a reason. That's what makes us unique. So I think that's what we've got to embrace the most. I heard a speaker recently speak about, I'm no soccer fan, but is, is, it, is it Messi? And he yes, only uses Lionel his left Messi. foot. Yeah. You can watch any game and 95% is on his left foot. Uh-huh. And so no coach goes out there and, you know, they all go out there and say, you know, try to force the right, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. He's the world's best on, That's you know, with exactly one preferred right. foot. So yeah. I think it's a really important message. We often say to our students, you know, look at your weaknesses and try to build them. But are we actually ignoring the strengths that present naturally? Yeah. And you talked about your your height, and I'm sure there was a competitive spirit as yes. well in there. How does how does a, a student, how does a young person look at themselves and figure out what their strengths yeah. are? <laughs> and you know what? This is the trickiest part, is I think you 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 gradually figure out what you're good at and you know what you're good at. But I think sometimes it's about listening to other people around you and not everybody because we all have all these voices plus our voices in our head telling us what we should and shouldn't do but as I got older I started to surround myself with people that not only made me feel good but were also very honest with me my when I got dropped from the Australian team it wasn't my parents who I went to of course they feel sorry for me of course they want me to be the team they're going to tell me all the right things and they were great in one way but I needed people around me that were going to say okay were you good enough? Were you fit enough? Did you do all of this stuff? You know, and give me a bit more of a real version, but still, you know, giving you a hug and making sure you're okay at the same time. I definitely had people around me when I was at school and as I was navigating my way through uni who would point out my strengths for me. I think if we all thought about it, there's so many times we're told what we're good at, but we ignore that because we're too busy looking for the negative. You know, when you get an exam back and you're like (laughs) looking through your marks and you're like, where did I go wrong? Rather than, oh, I did all this right. Mm. And I think that's how it helps you identify what your strengths are. Actually, 
listening to what people are telling you and the feedback that you're getting. Bianca, you reached success at such a young age, 18 years old. How did you balance being an athlete and your schooling life? I just did it because I had to. <laughs> I yeah. was I was organized, but I wasn't one of those people with my diary all laid out with a highlighter. I wish I had have been, but I, <laughs> I was not at all. Um, but coming from down the peninsula, uh, at this stage, I was still living down here and I was still doing year 12. And so I you know, just had to utilize whatever time I had to put into my schooling. So they always say, you know, a busy person gets more things done. And that makes sense because when you've got all your training calendar lined out, you go, okay, well, it takes me an hour to get to training in the city and it takes me an hour to get home. So there's two hours where I can actually be reading through my textbooks or whatever I needed to do. I mean, I had nothing else to do in the car. So it was just about being a little bit more productive with the small pockets of time I had. And I didn't always get it right. Like there was definitely times I'd go into an exam or something where I'm like, oh, Bianca, that you, you hadn't prepared enough. <laughs> but then it was about taking that kind of understanding and going, all right, well, next time, how can you try and take that pressure off you too? And so you don't feel guilty into like you didn't do enough for whatever exam you were sitting. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a combination, I think, of the pressure that my mum was like, Bianca, like you've got to be good at this. And a coach I had at the time, Joyce Brown, she would ring my VCE coordinator and my mum and they'd have all these conversations that I wasn't a part of. <laughs> and at the time I was so annoyed because, you know, you're like, it's my life. Yeah, like, that's right. everyone. all in it yeah, right so now. telling me what to do. <laughs> But I appreciated that netball as a sport were just as invested in my education as what they were as me as an athlete. So Mm. yes, it was about me being the best player I could be, but they knew I was building to that. It wasn't about that, you know, right in that moment. It was about, okay, are you coping? Are you doing enough work? Do you have enough time? Um, If you are, basically the whole part of it was if my schoolwork was slipping away, then they would take netball off me. So (laughs) yeah, so it's kind of that, like I had that hanging over my head the whole time and I was like "Uh oh (laughs) and so then I just made it work because I wanted to keep playing (laughs) so how did you empower or motivate yourself to be the best that you could be and how have you continued to empower yourself today how did I empower myself I, I, I always wanted to be successful but I think my driving force behind it all was I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do something. So it, not necessarily playing netball, that was part of it, but I wanted to prove to people on the outside that would say, oh, you can't possibly do that. You can't possibly do year 12 and play for Australia. You can't possibly make all that work. Or you can't have a part-time job and be playing for Australia and go to uni. And I just, I had this mentality, which I'm fortunate that I did have, was just kind of why not? was always my, why can't I do it? Like just because you haven't seen anyone else do it doesn't mean that I can't and um yeah I was just a fiercely kind of independent person where I just was like on a mission to to prove to people that I could do it when I look back sometimes I had my blinkers on though and I was way too competitive about doing that and I would end up comparing myself to others a lot too and I find that was a negative trait that I wish I had got myself out of early but I would look at somebody else and be like right I want to be able to do what you do and like earn the money that you earn and wouldn't take stock of actually what I'd got myself that I'd already achieved a lot of that anyway. And so sometimes we look to on the outside of other people. Yeah. Um, and I felt the most empowered when I was just actually taking time to be grateful for what I'd achieved and wasn't just push, push, push about getting better and better and better. Um, Because as I found in the times where you get from the outside the most glory, you know, if you win a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games or 
the moments that you remember are not the games or, you know, the intercepts you took on court. The moments you remember are the dumb things you did with your teammates (laughs) beforehand, (laughs) in the change rooms, afterwards. (laughs) Like, they're the best things and they're the stuff we talk about now that I've retired. It's never actually about the gold medal or the game that it took to get there. Bianca, I'm really inspired by the work that you do on boards. We we hear so much about the underrepresentation of women on boards and more women go for -for non-for-profit organisations than corporate in their in their board choices how did you fall into that and do you ever get imposter syndrome which we speak about a lot as females in leadership absolutely I get that oh so I never again aspired to sit on a board uh, of any kind and um, as I was playing netball I was really passionate about our players association so A lot of the girls before me had put so much time and effort into changing the way that we were looked after, how much money we earn as female athletes. And these girls would work their butts off away from being players. And I just used to watch and admire them. And so then as I was getting older as a player, then it kind of, they'd all retired. And so then it was up to somebody else to step up. And so then I just felt like that was my thing I had to do was stand up and start to fight for what we deserved. And so then I started representing the players on our players association. So I think it was just things like that, that I did along my career that people then from the outside saw. And um, I retired and the Victorian government, so the sports minister at the time called me and said, we we want to put you on a board. There's a few sporting boards that the Vic government um, control around Melbourne and, and, you know, what's your interests and would it be something you would look at? And I was like, mm, okay, yeah, sure, no worries. Yeah, I didn't even think, again, much of it. And then one came up and it was the MCG Trust. So to sit on that board, they asked if I was interested and I was just like, oh, yeah, like, can you put it? I was like, this is sport. I was like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, can you send it to me in an email? Like, I was driving at the time and I just, I just didn't even register what it was. And then I looked it up online and I saw that the chair was Steve Brax, the former premier, and um, Peter Costello, the former treasurer, was sitting on this board. And I'm thinking, what do I add to this? Like, what am I actually going to bring? And I said that to the sports minister. I was pretty honest. I was like, I don't actually know what I'm going to be able to say with these meetings. And, um, so our role as the trust is to look after the MCG as a ground, to look after the MCC who manage the ground, um, and to look after Yarra Park. So um, it's a pretty big portfolio, but it's obviously a very prestigious one. And um, anyway, so, you know, they talked to me about what I bring in terms of leadership, what I bring in terms of women's sport and my understanding and just sport in general around what athletes need. And, um, and that, you know, it's a five-year position. So once you're there, it's about growing as well. It's not about knowing everything now. And so they kind of just help me feel a little bit more at ease. One thing I need to do is go and do a director's course. And so that's been sitting in the back of my head this year that that's my next step afl sports ready they have the ready foundation which is their not-for-profit um, board and so they asked me to go on that as well which kind of sat in well with what i'm doing at the mcg trust and probably not as daunting to sit on that one right now but it's all learning and i think i am happy and i'm open to being vulnerable and admitting that i don't know everything and that i'm here to learn too that when i've got something to say i'll say it but i'm also not going to say anything that i'm not you know understanding or not sure about i'll ask the questions and um so yes it's a big learning process for me that i sit back and i'm like how am i here sometimes but hey i love it it's good and it's all sport related and hopefully i can add some value along the way I'm really interested in actually asking that question right back to you. I I can hear what they say you contribute 
professionally to the boards now you've worked in it what do you think your personality contributes to those groups well I've definitely learned that so part of the MCG is about the what we have at the ground so we obviously have AFL we have cricket but it's about the ground being there for entertainment for all Victorians and as I'm realising, we're fortunate that whatever event you have at the MCG, we get tickets for because we're meant to go and see it and have a look. And so a lot of the board members are a lot older than I am. And so now I'm starting to realise what I add is a voice of a young person in Melbourne and what do we love? And, um, you know, they had WWE, the wrestling, nothing that I was, I've never been interested in it, but about going along and being open to see how we host it and what it looks like and the crowds that it brings in. And it brings in these families that don't come to sport. And, and so none of the other board members went to that event. So I like now that I'm happy to go to these things and see what it's like. You know, we had Bon Jovi, we had Eminem and just different concerts. And we're trying to get the Spice Girls. Oh, and wow. so, like, no, see, everyone the, on the board level was just like, they're like Who? whatever. And I'm like, Spice Girls? <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen, but just things like that that I start to see, okay, I'm coming from a different perspective and we need to make sure whatever we do with the ground that it is for all Victorians and not just, you know, the sporting types and the ones that have been sitting on the waiting list for 16 years to get the MCC wow. memberships. Like there's that many other people out there that we need to cater for. So yeah, now I'm starting to find that little way and I love it. It's now time to put the guest to the test with a trivia challenge. Okay, so now we're going to play a trivia game um, all about netball and let's get started. The ANZ Championship ran for nine seasons between 2008 and 2016. Mm-hmm. How many teams competed in the championship each year? Ooh, 10. Where were the first Netball World Championships held? Ooh, like ever. First ever. ones ever. First ones ever. Mm, over in England? The first rules for Netball were drawn up in 1895. In which country did Netball originate? I believe England as well. No. That's wrong. It's Where was it? Oh. Which two teams played the first ever match of the ANZ Championship in 2008? 2008. Okay. Was that Melbourne Vixens one? Uh, yes. And Sydney Swifts? Melbourne Vixens and Central Pulse. Oh, yeah, okay, that's a New Zealand team. Well, I played in that game too. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Okay, next question. Who won the Commonwealth Bank Trophy in 2002? Melbourne Phoenix. Yes, Yes. that's correct. That was me too. (laughs) At least I remember that. Okay, which shooter scored the winning goal for Australia at the 1999 World Championships? Nah, easy. Sherelle McMahon. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> okay, name the ex-South African team shooter who moved to New Zealand. Ooh, Irene Van Dyke. That is correct. <laughs> the last question. Who made a winning captaincy debut for the Diamonds against England? Shiny Layton. It's Caitlin Bassett. Bassett. Yes, like fairly recent. Yes. <laughs> All right. You've redeemed yourself in, in any of the poor questions. Your knowledge bank was, was shining yeah. through. Do you so. know what I kept thinking every time someone said your name, Alexa, is that when we're on the block, 
we had to put Alexas oh. in every room. So we would be up all night painting and we'd be oh like, Alexa, play this music for us. And Alexa, <laughs> the voice command control would automatically play it. That's all I kept thinking of then. Yeah. <laughs> My parents do Do you get that me. all the time? Yeah. Bianca, it's been such a pleasure to have you with us today, but I also feel like it would be remiss of me to not give you an opportunity to share some, I guess, impart some knowledge with our students. And I'd particularly love to reflect on the concept of failure. You, you yeah. talked about missing out on a team and surrounding yourself with honest people um do you think it's necessary that we have failures in our life yes absolutely i do and it's hard when you're in the bubble of you know whatever pathway you're on to success whatever success is like means for you you know you're in the bubble and you're committed and you're determined you want to get there and you can't often see outside of that bubble at the time Um, But I look back on what I've done so far and the best things that have happened to me have been the downtimes because they've made me think differently and find another pathway and kind of go about it in a different way with a different attitude. And I would never have been forced to do that unless I had those failures. And I think failure is actually just a really hard word because instantly you think negative and instantly you think that I guess you're a letdown because that word's been used. Um, I think it's just a little hurdle that you jump over and it's up to you whether you jump over it or not or change direction or go somewhere else. So yeah, I I don't like using the word failure, but I'm totally okay with it now. And Mm. I feel like that, you know, as long as whatever you kind of set out that you want to do to be open and to be flexible because you never realize what it's going to look like at the end and what you think it's going to look like it never does whether that's a better version of it or a worse version of it it just is different to what you believe in so if we all have a bit more of a flexible mindset and that allows us to kind of navigate our way there however we possibly can that's the best way to do it and People describe me, they see me probably be this, you know, professional, you know, I do a lot of speaking and in the media and I like to be professional, don't get me wrong, but my close friends would describe me as being the most immature, mature person they've ever met because I can quite easily switch from being an idiot to being very professional and because I love that and it's fun. So I think for me, it's, it has been about having so much fun along the way and then I get to live this crazy fun life of traveling around wherever I want, like not having, I don't see I've got a real job at all, even though I've got multiple jobs. Um, Just making sure that you always laugh your way through it. Even some of the times where things don't go your way, if you can find a way to laugh, it just helps you clear your head, find the next step. And even if the next step's a week later, give yourself that time to just recheck and reset and that's probably the best thing that I've learned all in my career. Um, also, sometimes just the bit of TLC from people that you need because we all need a hug at times to go, it's okay, you'll be okay. So, yeah, that's probably my biggest takeouts. Okay, well, thank you so much, Bianca, for coming and having a chat with us. Your words are very motivational and very inspirational and we're very grateful that you're here. So oh, thank no you so worries. much and thank you for listening. Thank you, I've loved it. Next week on the podcast of Turak Chat, we are interviewing Georgia Connolly, the 2019 Victoria Racing Club Ambassador.